Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. The key to winning big is using every little bit of knowledge to your advantage. At Odds Checker, we give you the edge. Better odds, better picks, and better offers to make you a better better. Why settle for less? Quickly compare the odds at every sportsbook to ensure that you're getting the best price to maximize your return. Visit us at www.oddschecker.com backslash US. Odds Checker. Sports betting smarter. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 31st, 2020, and you're listening to the greatest poker cast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. So, it's one of those things where they kind of just say, you know, your show is just so good... If it was legitimate, it would win every year. So we're just not going to even nominate you anymore for any of these awards, right? That's what it is? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to go on uh, the normal annual tangent that we have about the uh, not getting loved. Um, and, and honestly, and here's why, because, uh, by the way, we're talking about the Global Poker Awards, and we'll <laughs> tell you a little bit more about that here in a minute. But um, so, so two reasons. One, uh, one, we were on the initial nomination list, so we were at least recognized. All right, that's nice. We just didn't make it to the actual nominee list. Um, but, uh, but quite honestly, uh, I mean, the list, the initial list had, I don't know how many uh, podcasts on there, 20, 30 or something like that. Yeah. You think back to when we started, what was that, back in 1942, right? Yeah, they had just invented the television, I think, when we started. <laughs> Um, and there were like what three podcasts back then? Yeah. The Lord Atlas, and I'm sure there's another one out there, right? Yeah. Um. So it, the competition is just there's just so many of them now, and a lot of them are being hosted by you know well-known players that uh, obviously have more to offer to those folks that want hand analysis that doesn't sound like it's coming from your home game buddies. Um, yeah. So you know, uh, I, I I wouldn't even begin the insist that we are one of the best anymore i think there probably was a period when we were um but i agree i'm not going to disagree with that i think that we're a different animal now um i think back in the day yeah i think back in the day when we were you know when this was the only thing we did too uh we did you know a different different kind of uh i guess it was a platform back then too you know we had pros on the show and all that kind of stuff and um we just like to get a lot of mileage out of this because it's just so funny how (laughs) you know and and the funny thing is too is that i looked at the categories and i thought we really don't even qualify for hardly any of these anymore too it's like we used to qualify just about every one of them now it's kind of like you know journalist of the year they they added a couple this year that we could have um i mean they journalist of the year is one of them where i still consider us both journalists obviously um, and there were a couple of media content um, 
options as well too but but again as i tell folks uh, as i travel um you know we have a very deliberate way of doing the things we do here danny up right yeah. so they're not designed to win awards that are designed to accomplish our goals of communicating to everyday players right yep. so um so yeah we're we're probably not going to do that really deep investigative journalism that uh, would win an award um and that's fine because that's not what we're about right so right um so yeah so i'm not really upset about those uh either at all actually i'm not upset about anything this year i'm quite happy with with the changes they made in it and uh, look forward to um seeing the winners uh, the one thing i will say um and i guess we should read the thing and then we'll get it well yeah, no, no, i'll say one more time before we read the thing so <laughs> Um, so the, the voting they changed this year, as we mentioned on a previous show, and I really do appreciate the, the effort they're making to, um, get it away from, uh, Homeridge, right? As always been my criticism, it's always the Vegas, LA, South Florida folks and pros that, that yeah. win these awards and yeah. the heartland, the uh, flyover states and the flyover magazines <laughs> are, 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 um, uh, marginalized, but so they 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 changed the voting this year, and they, it was really really well done. I think um, the problem was though, I, I I don't have time to listen to all these other twenty podcasts out there, right? So when you're voting, uh, um, you know, I I can vote for the people that I know that I've I've occasionally listened to a show or I've heard something about, or I know people have tell, told me is a really good show, right? Yeah. But uh, but the way you're ranking them, you can't. Vote for yourself. So had we been nominated, we couldn't have voted for ourselves, which I think is perfectly legit um, rule to put in place, right? Right. Um, uh, and you can't vote. You rank one, two, three, and you can't put in the number one spot someone you have a relationship with of some sort, right? Right, right. We talked about that. Yeah. So, you know, one podcast that I know does, does good stuff and people have told me is uh, Chad Holloway's podcast uh, for Poker News. And obviously he's one of our um, uh, he's our Wisconsin ambassador, so we have a relationship there. So I couldn't put them first, but I didn't know any of the other shows. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I mean, so then that decision becomes: do I just like spin a wheel and put one first, and then put uh, Poker News second? And that didn't seem fair to me, right? So I ended up just skipping and not voting, which you're allowed to do. So so that's unfortunate. Uh, it would have been nice to. Uh, if I would have been able to leave number one blank <laughs> and put the uh, Poker News two for the podcast, that would have been uh, I would have done that. But so there's still some things they got to work out on. But otherwise, um, uh, but overall, I think they they've made leaps and bounds in, in how this comes out. So I'll be really interested to see um, the awards when they are announced in March. That's why it's so difficult to like if you were to win one to really like appreciate it for what you know what i mean because it's like yeah did i win or do i really deserve to win or is it because nobody knows not enough people know who the hell everyone else is you know or whatever it is then it's still becoming a popularity contest because i don't think there are a lot of people in the world who would have been as ethical as you and said i don't know any of this i'm not gonna vote instead of i'm just gonna randomly pick people like you do and they tell you not to do with the sats you know just leave it blank <laughs> You know, don't don't right. vote here. Leave it blank. And so, you know, I, I think what you did was 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 uh, ethical and and outstanding. I, I think that that's what should be done. But at the same time, then it's like, okay, they'll they'll still say they had X amount of panelists or X amount of voters, and so it makes you think, oh, it was really thorough. But if everyone was as ethical as you, we might be twelve people voting who could actually answer all these categories. I mean, do you really think that there are people who are in the know enough? 
to have listened to every single podcast that's on that list and decide which one's the best ones to watch every single final table performance of all the people who are on the list and the list goes on to follow every twitter feed of these people to listen to the or read the the blogs or you know follow the vloggers it's like so it's still difficult to come up with awards like this that are actually the word legitimate is not what i'm i'm trying to say but uh so complete and accurate, you know. So you just take it for what it is, and don't get too caught up in it, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, all awards are subjective, right? I mean, I, I'm I'm getting super stoked for the Oscars and I have my party coming up, but that's all subjective as well, too. They send yeah. out screeners to everybody, but it's you know, you know, it's it's not decided by based on a jury of impartial people, right? So. So it's never going to be that that completely fair, but um, right. I mean, but even I subjective is is sub, the word subjective. There isn't even really fair either, because how many people out there who are making these votes know what a good journalist well, yeah. is, and, well, and that yeah. whether or not Joey Ingram is a good journalist. On that, Stu is some some folks obviously, um, you know. Again, we we're insulated from a lot of the stuff in poker because of the focus of our magazine podcast cruises tour, right? right? So. Right. Um, so I don't spend a lot of time reading other things or listening to other podcasts or watching final tables or any of that stuff. But there are a lot of people in the poker industry that do well, watch all that stuff, uh, probably listen to four or five podcasts a week and stuff. So, you know, they all have, um, it's not like they had to on the ballot come out scurry and try to figure out all this stuff. Right. So, um, but to your other point, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, but, but, you know, again, it depends on what you want, you know, um, and everybody has an opinion on what a podcast should be, even if they've never recorded one before, right? And yeah. know what goes into it, so, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about the Oscars, the people who vote on the Oscars, they are required to see everything. And I think they even get, like, a DVD sent to them or something with, it says, for your consideration, and that's the scene that they're looking at or for the acting or whatever it is. They're required to be informed about all of these movies and all of these performances and and then make a judgment. But They get the screenings, but that doesn't mean they have to watch them, and I guarantee you they don't all watch them. So, yeah. I mean, I, I see every Best Picture nominee every year, and I promise you there are a lot of vote, people voting for them that don't. So. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it seems like that's a little more easier to do than to have someone make an informed opinion on all of these categories right. in this in this award ceremony. Well, again, but it's based on reputation, like I said. I mean, like some of those podcasts I haven't heard, but I, I have enough people, a lot of our listeners will tell us shows they like, that, that I have a basis of um, – belief that uh, what I'm hearing from folks is that this this show is good and I haven't heard about this other show so that must not you know might be on other people's radar so yeah um so okay well All let's right. actually read the item only <laughs> <laughs> 14 minutes of the show we haven't even oh cow. All right, uh, the nominees for this year's Global Poker Awards have been announced, and Joey Ingram, who was instrumental in the video reviewing of the alleged Stones gambling hall cheating incident received four nods including Media Content Video of the Year. Um, Lance Bradley received three nominations, including Journalist of the Year, and receiving two nominations each were Daniel Negreanu, Matt Savage, uh, Lex Veldheis, and Haley Hostetler. You did all right. I wondered how you were going to do through those. I think got that right. That's not too bad. Maybe I'll be a nominee for Best Pronunciation next year. I think it's Lex Veldhaus, but I'm not sure. It's been a I, while I think I actually played with him at the Mirage once, too. 
I'm yeah. pretty sure I did. Played a mixed game with him. I'm pretty sure. Uh, fans are encouraged to vote for People's Choice Awards at globalpokerindex.com slash awards. All right, excellent. <laughs> right, yeah, or... <laughs> I think we had our talk about it, so I think we're good to there go. There definitely was horse before a cart before the horse there. Right? <laughs> All right, the World Series of Poker is adding 17 new events to the schedule this summer, most of them being part of the previously announced freeze-out schedule that will allow only one entry per player. The two completely new events are a $250,000 buy-in Super High Roller event and a $1,500 buy-in Mystery Bounty event with 100 Mystery Bounties being placed on 100 players ranging from $2,500 to $250,000, with a guaranteed $1 million in bounties available, including $100 bounties on all players. The Heads Up Championship will increase its buy into 25000 this year and be limited to 64 players. Wow. I tell you, that $250,000 uh, bounty that's possible for buying yeah. in for 1500 that's insane. And you know they're going to make that into like a game show or something, where it's going to be like, survey said, you're going to look up at the screen and see if their bounty is worth two hundred fifty grand or something, and then fireworks and confetti falling from the sky and all that, you know, because <laughs> that's incredible. Can you imagine knocking out somebody and they open up their envelope or whatever, however they're going to do it? And you're well, I'll tell you, million. last week I had the, uh, the person that wrote in about, you know, trying to get people into the cash games for the tournament kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Had a pretty lengthy discussion about how the strategies the poker rooms can do to, you know, build interest. I think this is probably the most interesting thing the series has done to get people into a tournament um, since we've been yeah. following this. Yeah, stuff, that's right? interesting. You know, they they've changed like the you know the classes buy in. They made all these you know other things. The millionaire maker were guaranteed a million bucks. All those things were nice gimmicks and really helped. But you're right. You know, you're getting into a bounty event. It's fifteen hundred bucks, which is in the price range of most players. And you have a chance of you know winning extra money on top without having to do anything other than knocking somebody out, right? Yeah. And one of them is a quarter million dollars, which is probably going to be more than some people at the final table make, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the guarantee is only a million, right? Or, or it's a guaranteed a million bounties. A million just in that's bounties. That's right, just in bounties. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Probably gonna be massive just because of the, the amount of people that probably will take a shot at this, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Wow, two hundred fifty grand just for knocking someone out. Oh man. That's We'll definitely be talking about that on the show. <laughs> I think so. And let's hope it's an Andy Up Nation member, right? Yeah, that, would be awesome. that might be our cover story, that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so other than that, uh, the 250000 buy-in for a non-charity event, I mean, some of those buy-ins are getting up there pretty high, so those are fun events to watch. I mean, just to think about uh, people being with the drop-down you know, that's a you could buy a house for that, right? Oh yeah, that's a remarkable. I mean, I, a tournament. I was just wondering about whether or not you know Binion ever had that envisioned. This, I mean, he may have envisioned six thousand people playing in his ten k event someday, but people buying in for two hundred and fifty grand and a million, yeah. and you know, in case of the one drop thing, I mean, that's two hundred fifty k to buy in. Uh, so here's going to be the story of the summer, and I've looked at the schedule to see if it's possible. A person wins a two hundred fifty thousand dollar bounty in the mystery bounty event, and then enters this. They <laughs> runs to the cage and buys into the super high roller event, and then wins that. Finally, it in Oh It doesn't line up that way. Does it have the mystery bounty uh, first? No, I, like I said, I haven't. I don't oh, you haven't checked it. Okay. The whole schedule. I know they probably announced the schedule for these, but uh, you know, I haven't gone back and looked. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, That's I didn't fun. think about it until right now. So. Because you know, <laughs> you know well, we often get. Uh, Taken to the the shed for like not like you know 
just figuring out whether or not these things are possible because it comes to us when we're on the show and make these these announcements and stuff, you know. But we don't, we didn't investigate that, you know, ahead of time. So don't don't give us crap for not knowing the answer to that question right now. I suppose we can look it up while we're talking, but we get that all the time. People are like, you know, you shouldn't be bringing up subjects if you're not going to be able to tell us the answers to them. I'm sorry, all right? It came to us on the show. We didn't know. <laughs> uh, well, the last thing I'll mention, like, the, the buying for the heads-up, uh, bumping up to 25K. I'll tell you, there's nothing more grueling than a heads-up tournament. You know, yeah. I played every year at Thunder Valley for the World Championship, and it is the hardest tournament I play every year. Um, so the fact that you're you're putting down 25000 again, I know that's relative. Some, for some people, that's nothing. For other people, it's a lot of money. But um, And... You know, thirty-two of those people are going to be out after one match. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not going to see another player other than the first player they drew. <laughs> that that's pretty astounding as well, too. So they should have loser brackets. <laughs> make it make it worth your while. Oh, tw- oh there's a loser my, bracket. All right, I'll pay twenty-five grand. My debut in the Safety Harbor Darts League this week. Uh, no, I'm not a fan of losers brackets. <laughs> it takes forever to get you back to the winners bracket, too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I won, we won our first match and lost our second, and then we, uh, it seemed like I was there until like 11 p.m. Only to be <laughs> <looking>. so. <laughs> All right, PokerStars founder Isa Scheinberg voluntarily returned uh, to the United States this week and surrendered himself to federal authorities to face longstanding charges from Black Friday. Scheinberg uh, had avoided uh, visiting the United States since the Black Friday indictments had been issued, but after an extradition extradition. Ugh. There, there goes my nomination. Nomination. Next. <laughs> You're going to say nomination, right? Uh, an extradition fight in Switzerland. He made the decision to come to the U.S. to face the charges. Prosecutors say they have an agreement in principle with Scheinberg on basic terms, which should mean a swift end to the case and possibly a lighter prison sentence. Wow. Why come back? <laughs> I mean, well, it sounded like you know he was boxed in the corner over there. So I mean, I'm oh. sure he didn't. He didn't uh, wake up one in the morning. You're like, you know what? I'm going to go to prison today. <laughs> yeah, it was something to do with uh, Switzerland, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, eventually, you know, when you it, it's hard to run for these charges, uh, especially when they're U.S. charges. They're going to find you somewhere. And uh, um, you know, I watched this 2020 special about a month ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember this back when we used to work for the Times, but uh, one of our reporters there. Helen Huntley was instrumental in um, bringing down Lou Pearlman, the the, oh, yeah. the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC guys, right? So yeah, when, yeah. when things south of him, he fled the country, and um, uh, eventually somebody was reading her stories online and happened to be at the same hotel in Indonesia <laughs> as he was and sent her a picture of him, and then she sent it off to the FBI and... Uh, Found them the next day. Holy cow, that's crazy! So yeah, so it's 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 really hard to run. I mean, all Hollywood movies like to make you think that you can disappear, um, like Bruce Wayne with uh, Anne Hathaway and uh, <laughs> Dark Knight. But uh, yeah, it's hard, it's hard to stay uh, hard to get away for that long. So I'll be interested to see what the um, you know um, the agreement is and and what it's going to mean for him. But. Were you able to make that Batman reference because it was nominated for something? Because I don't see you as a Batman-watching kind of guy. No, no, here's the thing. You're right. I, I do not watch superhero uh, movies. They're just not my genre. Um, but uh, the Christopher Nolan Dark Knights, I think, are two of the best movies, any kind of movies, ever yeah, made. Yeah, they were real good. Um, or at least the last two. I know he made the other one, too. But um, they, they were fantastic, absolutely fantastic on social commentary. And right now, uh, i got one more Best Picture nominee to watch this year, but Joker's at the top of my list. So I thought yeah. Joker was 
Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, that's all I've been hearing about Joker. Just how, how pretty. Well, they're not cartoony, right? Right. right. Like real. Then I, I think they're really fantastic because you can really get into social issues. Yeah, by telling a story that the popcorn crowd wants to see, right? So yeah. I think that's the genius of them. But yeah. you know, and they're cartoony, like this Harley Quinn thing that has been the preview of every <laughs> movie I've seen this last week. Love you, Margot Robbie, but I ain't coming to see that movie. So. <laughs> hey, any updates? The Antioch Poker Tour next visits Gila River Hotels and Casinos Viquiva near Phoenix, March 14th to the 29th. Uh, also, the Antioch World Championship at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California is July 5th to the 26th. Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, August 20th to the 30th. Hamul Casino near San Diego in September. And then Gila River Hotels and Casinos near Phoenix again in November. If you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Antioch in your home area, apply at antiochmagazine.com slash apply. We have an immediate opening in Michigan. We love hearing from our fans. If you have a hand of the week, listener spotlight, or call the floor submission, email us at podcast.antiochmagazine.com or post in the Antioch Fans group on Facebook. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do call the floor and hand of the week, we send them something cool. This comes from Paul Phillips. He says, I can't recall any discussion on checking in the dark and its purpose. I've never understood why a player would have electively uh, take away one of their options. Any insight as to why players do this? Wasn't there a famous poker player, Paul Phillips, for a while? He was like a rich computer guy or something. And then I think there was a rich Paul Phillips poker player. Well, but, uh, this could be him, yes. yes. Yeah. No, he was... He would know the answer to this, I think. Friends eh? And know figure out why people were checking the dark, so he's going to ask us. I think this guy is, uh, might be a different person, but uh, okay. Yeah, he's interesting to watch. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. He was interesting to watch. Right, right. I think he was kind of a skinny guy, dark hair. But um, yeah. okay, so uh, I can answer a little bit of this if you want. I, I think yeah. one of the reasons people check in the dark is because uh, one, they're already going to be at a disadvantage no matter what happens, no matter what flop happens, they're going to be at a disadvantage. So they're going to take that opportunity to actually be able to lack last if the person decides to bet um, and be able to watch the other person's reaction comfortably to the flop and how they bet and not even worry about that so they don't give away any information. Some people like to do that. And other people like to do it because they like to just throw off someone's game. You know, the other person's just so rigid in ABC or something, and all of a sudden you check in the dark. They're like, what? And it just it just flips them out. They don't know what the hell's going on now. What what, what, what do you mean you check, you check in the dark? You even, and then all of a sudden it just throws their mind off, and they don't know what to do because now they got to think, well, this guy checked without even looking, so now I didn't, I didn't get any reaction off of him, or he didn't bet, so how do I know he didn't hit it? And So it's really basically to try to confuse the other person. And the third thing I'll say is a lot of people see people do it on TV, and they just want to be like the people on TV. They think it's something cool to do, but really they're actually giving up information and, and position, uh, not position, but you know, a chance to, to change the course of the hand. So um, I think it's mostly done because they want to let the other person act first and react to that and see what they do. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's clearly it. And um, obviously there's a lot of danger involved in that, right? So, you know, if you've got a vulnerable hand and you check in the dark, now you give your opponent the option of checking behind and getting a free card. So, yeah. so in theory, if you take away human emotion, right, um, there wouldn't be much sense in doing this, right? Because you know you would, if you're not afraid of giving away a free card, you might check in the dark. But now you've given information to your opponent that your hand is strong enough that you're willing to give up a free card, right? So, 
um, at that point, then they might uh, go ahead and take that, that that free card, even if they feel like they have a decent hand, kind of like um, in draw games when, you know, and you've got like, let's say a Badoogie, you've got a, a decent Badoogie, but not a great Badoogie. And then someone stands pat, and then you're you're acting after them. Now you're now you have to evaluate whether you need to break up your your middling badoogie, right? And try to improve, right? Right. So, um, so I, I think you you've you've given away some strength in your hand, or at least the impression of the strength. So I guess again, if it's the impression that you're hoping for, um, that's fine. But um, you know, it, it is a way of you know, taking back position when you're out of position, um, because as you mentioned, now you're forcing your opponent to act before you act. Um, but there's just so much more danger involved than that, I think. So it's certainly not a move that I can remember. I'm sure I've done it at some point. Um, but I, I, it's certainly not something I look forward to doing. I, it's not something I do regularly at all. So yeah, there, there's, I'm sure that the, the much smarter people than us have figured out the right situation for them for when to do this and it's not something they do regularly i I would believe that let's say it's something like they know they just have a drawing hand or they know that this particular person likes to bet the flop without even seeing the flop or whatever it is they they have something in mind where they're going to be like i know if i watch him on this flop without looking at the flop if he bets right away, I know it's just a C bet, and he didn't really pay attention. But you know, or whatever it is, there, there's something in them, as a pro or as an advanced player, that they can use this effectively. For me, I've done it before, just because I was just kind of like, all right, I I know what this guy's gonna do. If I check in the dark, let's see if he's gonna do it, and then I watch him. Or you know, it's mostly because I want to watch them. And usually, when I check in the dark, it's because. Like Scott was saying, how you're giving up a chance to, you know, to react to to have your cards. You know, you're running, missing that opportunity. But for me, usually, if I'm going to check in the dark, I don't have a huge hand that's vulnerable. I have a hand that's well, I'm looking to see what this guy's yeah. going to do. Yeah. And I think that that there is some strategy involved there. If you get you're on that second or third level thinking, where now the person's like, okay, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to punish him for checking the dark by checking my behind and getting my free card if you're if you are the one that checked the dark and you have a weak hand now you're there's a a theory you can imagine of uh, forcing someone to give you that free card so you improve before you have to actually act so and i can guarantee you uh, 99.9 percent of the time the person who checks in the dark is not the person who raised free flop and was the last raise you know what i mean these are the people that you guarantee they are the ones that have called a raise or have limped in and everyone else has limped in and they want to just check and let everyone else react because no one has a hand so they might as well get to act last because they think someone's going to bet between now and then they can watch all their reactions but i guarantee you if somebody has ace ace and they're under the gun and then they make a 3x raise preflop and they get one caller they're not checking in the dark they're just not usually people checking the dark are the ones who call a raise and then they want to see what the better is going to do and watch them react to something so and I would imagine really talented players can do it if they figured out their opponent. Right? Yeah, they know their opponent's true. weak enough, and they know that, that checking in dark is going to confuddle them to the point that it makes it easier for them to get their money. Yeah. So yeah. there probably are reasons for it, but yeah, just not for me. So We have a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Hello, and welcome to 
to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1, $2, No Limit Hold'em Casino cash game. It's a typical 1-2 cash game, with the only difference here being there are two monster stacks at the table. We're the big stack with 1100 We bought in for 200 and have been getting hit in the head with the deck, although we're playing pretty well also. The other monster stack has $900 and is a very solid player who seems to know what he's doing. He also bought in for 200 about 20 minutes after we arrived. We've been playing for around 5 hours. The blinds post, the under the gun and plus one fold. The MP, the player with 900, makes it $10 to go, standard for this table. And it's folded to us on the button with the 8 of spades, 7 of spades. This is a really good hand to try to stack this player with, and since we have the button, we're going to call. The blinds fold, and with roughly $20 in the pot, the flop is a beauty. The ace of hearts, six of spades, five of spades comes down. The MP pretty quickly makes a $20 bet into the pot. Are we going to play for stacks on the flop? We have an open-ended straight flush draw, a straight draw, and a flush draw. We bump it up to $75. After thinking for a brief moment, our opponent makes it 250, leaving himself 640 behind. Uh-oh. We decide to slow down a bit and call. Perhaps our first mistake? The pot is a massive $520 and the turn is the deuce of spades. Our opponent counts out a bet of $300 and puts it in the middle. Gulp. What's the move? This is Noah Brunson, and you're listening to Annie Up. It's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Mark Kelly is sending in the hand this week. And uh, he says he's playing a six-handed cash game, no limit hold'em. Blinds are one and two. Uh, and he's sitting with around 600. Uh, the button has about 550, and all other players have between 200 and 800. Uh, I've been playing for about an hour and don't have any specific reads. Uh, the button is the most active. Of the, uh, who is most active in this hand is a middle-aged man who seems aggressive and competent. I would characterize the game overall as aggressive pre-flop with a lot of action on draws leading to bloated pots. Generally, I think the players are pretty good, and it's been tough to get into the game. I've been card dead and have only played the blinds without getting the showdowns yet. I get the feeling I might be seen as a bit too passive and tight. Um, all right. The uh, folds of the cutoff. who raises to $10. Uh, the button calls uh, small blind folds, and we are in the big blind with a nine of spades, eight of spades. All right. So we're going to be acting first no matter what the rest of the way. It was suited nine eight. It's the kind of hand that I'd like to I like to be in position with these types of hands so that I can control getting free cards and things like that. Um generally when cutoffs raise, they don't have anything really good. Um I mean it could happen that he has something good, but it's so standard these days that you know these guys are trying to steal the button and then just pick up the blinds or at least be in position to pick up an extra ten bucks from somebody who obviously misses the flop. So it's not that I'm giving this guy any credence, and the button just called, so I'm thinking that's not anything big. So I don't know. I've got two invested. It's up to ten, like eight to win, roughly twenty-one in my eight. So I don't know. I mean, I, sometimes I just fold and move on, you know. But 
if I'm going to play the hand, I'm just going to call. I'm not going to raise. That's just crazy. So if I'm going to play the hand, I'll call the eight bucks and hope to flop some sort of two pair or, you know, or straight or something, maybe even a flush draw, but you know, it's such a low flush. I don't know if that's what I'm looking for either. So I guess I'll call. It's interesting that he said he has about 600 in a one, two game. I'm sure the buy-in wasn't any more than like 200 and they say he was card dead, but it sounds to me he's up about four hundred. Well, it depends. There are some places like um, Beauvage has no cap on their one-two game. So. No, no cap on their buy-in. Yeah. Oh wow. All right. Well, I'm hoping that he's doing better than it sounds, and that uh, you know he he's not too passive. I mean, I, I maybe he wants to change it up, you know, and that's why he wants to play this hand now because they think he's passive tight. Clearly, playing nine-eight is not so. Maybe that he'll get a little bit of benefit of that too later in the hand, but let's just call and 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 watch the flop. I'm going to call and check in the dark. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> oh, you're hilarious. Which you know is not actually a bad idea here. You know, and that's the thing when I was thinking about it. I'm like, I was going to make that joke, and then I started thinking about it. I'm like, it's not terrible. Not terrible. <laughs> it's not so, terrible. A couple other opponents, but because uh, this is not the hand you're going to bet out in, even if you do hit it hard. Because if you hit it hard, you want them to have a hand. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you miss it completely, you're not going to bet out because he probably does have a hand. You know what I mean? There are a couple flops that I would bet here, um, yeah, probably with aces on them, but where I've got like flop of nine and eight with an ace or maybe something like that where I might want to bet. But for the most part, yeah, I'm I'm checking anyhow. So um, yeah, check in the dark. That's but, awesome. So yeah, so I like the uh, I always like suited connectors. I like them more in tournaments because in tournaments you're 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 forced to play hands, right? In cash game you're not forced to play hands. Um, so you know we're pretty deep here. It is a hand that's uh, uh, suited connectors are good stacking hands. So uh, I think I'm fine uh, since we haven't gotten in the game. He says it's tough to get in the game right now. So here's our option of getting in the game. So yeah, yeah. for ten bucks I'm gonna take uh, take the flyer, see what happens on this flop, and uh, decide whether I'm gonna check in the dark or not <laughs> after I see the flop. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, here it says I think for a short while I'd like to call the eight dollars and hope the flop big. Uh, after the rake, the pot is twenty five dollars, and the flop is the eight of hearts, nine of hearts, ten of clubs. Nice. Uh, okay, I'll remind our listeners that TJ Cloutier said the hand that goes broke the most, his bottom two pair. So I'm just going to say that right up front. But this is a nice little flop for us. Now, it doesn't mean that Queen Jack isn't out there or Jack 10 with top pair and straight draws and stuff like that because that's very possible. Uh, but I like two pair. Two pair is nice. I still don't think I'm going to bet out, though. I-, I think that I would let them bet and then call because at this point you know no matter what i bet if somebody's drawing they're not going to fold for my bet unless i shoved and even then they still might call um it seems like it's a pretty competent table um i really don't see people folding for us to bake if we're going to bet 20 into a 25 dollar pot somebody has jack 10 they're calling somebody has an over pair they're calling and hoping to see that 10 come you know for a better two pair or something so I'm going to still be a little reserved with this. I'm not going to go crazy. I like the flop, but let's hope blanks come or we fill up. And even if we fill up, we still can't be ecstatic right. because something yeah. like pocket 10s could be out there, you know. So um or even 910, it's possible. So let's let's just uh let's just check, see what they're thinking about betting. And then when we call, they might think we're drawing and then if we fill up and then they hit put the hammer down, we're going to get a ton of chips out of this. So I like to just call here. Yeah, I think this is a difficult hand to play, um, and I admit this is one of my weaknesses, how to how to play a situation like this. Um, I, I, I'm low with the give free cards here. 
I'm also loathe to check raise. I never like check raising, which so if you checked and then with the intention to check raise, then I, I think it makes it difficult. Two more streets to come with such danger out there. Um, and as you mentioned, betting out uh, is an, um, you know you have potential of um, um, misplaying that as well too. So, uh, but I think in balance, I, I, I'm going to bet. Um, you know, if they are drawing, I want them to call. You know, I want I want to keep getting money when they when I have the best of it and hope that it continues that way. So, you know, it's twenty five bucks in the pot right now. So, you know, I'll put twelve in. See what happens. It is a it is a very wet board, and that is something to consider. That okay, so you've hit your hand. You don't want to let the hearts get there, or you don't want to let the straight get there. Uh, but at the same time, it feels like someone's going to bet. So. If someone's going to bet and you wanted to put money in the pot, I don't know. Maybe you check raise. I, I don't know. Um, it's just to me, it seems like it's bottom two pair. No matter what well, you bet, yeah. you're, you're going to get called. Here's another way of playing it: is checking. Uh, as you mentioned, it's it's probably pretty safe that one of these other two people are going to bet, right? So the, the money is going to get in, right? And yeah. then rather than check raising, I might just call and just play this really passively like a, like maybe like a flop set in Omaha, which is always very vulnerable, right? Right. And just understand that if the board, that turn comes and it's gnarly, then and there's betting that I'm not comfortable with, then I'm, I'm going to have to let it go. Or same on the river, but you know, if uh, if the, the betting is not um, terrible um, or the card is not terrible, then I'll just kind of like hold on to the um, rails and, and hope that I can get to the end and, and, and win this without committing too much money. So that's it. It's a very passive way of playing it, but I think it's also a safe way of playing it, especially when you're this deep. You know, the last thing you want to do is get committed here with your bottom two pair um, and be up against um, a bunch of drops. I'd be favorites yeah. or even be behind, right? So The other thing, too, is now we had joked about checking in the dark, but if you had checked in the dark, you'd have to now do what they they do exactly. you, you know what i mean so exactly yeah, yeah. so i don't know I, I i like a check here i know i should probably bet to protect the hand um or at least make them pay to draw and protect the hand so i i don't know i, I still like i think a bet is coming so i don't mind checking let them bet and then reassess after they bet to see what i need to do from there probably just going to be a call you know if somebody makes a really big bet that gives me information because it feels like all right, they're trying to protect their jacks or their queens or their ace ten, you know. And I'm like, okay. And it could also be they have a flush draw and they're just betting value of it. And so now I'm thinking, okay, well, if they want to set that price for the flush draw, I'm going to make it way more expensive now with my check raise. So there's a lot of stuff you can do after a check here when you know they're going to bet. If you think there's a possibility they don't bet that they're really really passive and they they don't like to bet after they raise preflop or something, then you might want to put some money in. So. If I know he's going to bet, I'm going to check and then reassess. All right. I've talked myself into a check, too, so we'll see what happens. All right, cool. says, uh, my initial thoughts were to check and then check raise the likely C-bet. However, I didn't want to give a free card on this wet board. Instead, I decided to lead out for 20 to charge draws. He asked, was this the right play? We've already talked about that. Uh, I think this might have been too small. Well, I don't think you could bet too much more than that. I mean, pot's 25, so. Yeah, well, I, I agree. If anything, I would. I wouldn't even bet that much, probably, but maybe yeah. twenty. But yeah, that's there's no way that's too small, um, unless you absolutely knew that you weren't going to fill up and you knew they were going to make the draw. Right. <laughs> then right. it's then it's not enough. But there's no way to know any of those things, so that's the right amount. You know, I don't have a problem with that at all. 
both players call. So pot is eighty five dollars, and mm. the turn is the nine of diamonds. So our board now is eight of hearts, nine of hearts, ten of clubs, nine of diamonds. So our check in the dark would have worked. Yeah, and uh, it's on us. Okay, well we're really happy, um, but we're not ecstatic because again nine ten eight ten and ten ten are hands that could be in play with the way this hand played preflop for that story to tell. And I'm happy we have a boat, and I'm not going to fold or anything like that in the future. I mean, I'm taking this probably to the end, no matter what. So, um, But now that I've set up betting and people calling, I have to think hard about what the next move is. Is it that I tried to steal it with that bet, and they didn't buy it, so now I'm weak and checking? Or is it, okay, they have something that's more powerful than than the board, you know, overpair, and now I'm going to bet and make them pay the price with their King King or Jack Jack or something? Or do I make it smallish because they could still be drawing to the flush thinking there's no chance we have a boat? It's, it's, it's really very difficult to know that from black and white, you know, and you reading it off to me. So my initial thought is, all right, I've bet, and they called. I probably should just bet again and let them call. I don't know if they'll fall for the, oh, I'm weak now, I'll check, and now you can try to steal it from me, and then, bam, I'm going to check-raise you. I don't think they're going to fall for that, and then you're not going to get any value on the river anyway if they just have one pair, well, with with your extra pair on the board there. But I, I think I might just bet out again because of the way he played it. Had we checked and then called, I might have checked again. Um, because the nine would be a scare card for someone checking and calling because they're trying to draw to something, and now their nut hand is no longer a nut hand because now a boat hand or a quads got there. So if I had checked, called, I would be checking here. But since I bet out and got two calls, I'll probably make a decent-sized bet again, make it look like I'm trying to force someone out when I'm not, you know. So if it's 85 in the pot, maybe I bet like 50 here. Um, and see if I get one caller or a re-raiser, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, here again, you these turn cards, uh, our action is always almost dictated by how we played the flop, right? So, yeah. as you mentioned, had we checked, then, then we would have different options here. But we bet um, on the flop, which turned out to be a great thing because now our hand improved. As you mentioned, it's still vulnerable, but it improved. Um so now it's good to bet out and hope that somebody raises us with a, a weaker hand. Now, obviously, we're not going to know whether they have a better hand at that point, but um, but I kind of like where we are right now. So yeah, I'm going to bet. Uh, like I said, I I'm going to bet sixty. Fifty um, is fine too, but yeah. uh, I wouldn't go anything less than fifty here and yeah. Yeah. see what happens. Um. All right, here it says so we have a full house and two players, which I figure are likely on either flush or straight draws, uh, or might even have the straight. Uh, or possible overpairs with few outs. I decide to look for value, but don't want to scare them off the pot. I bet 45. All right, well, yeah, whatever. I mean, I said 50, so $5, but you were saying not less than 50. I don't I don't know if that's that big of a deal, 45, but I don't, I don't mind that bet. I mean, I'm not worried about scaring people off a pot again. We When you we come into a pot with 8, 9, and you can win 85 bucks. <laughs> yeah. It's not a terrible thing, right? I mean, yeah. obviously you want to maximize value with every hand you have, but um, this is a hand that we're not supposed to win with quite often, right? Yeah. So, you know, if we're betting here and everybody folds, all right, fine, we got 85 bucks on a hand that we, we shouldn't have got anything out of, so that's that's not bad. And obviously people call, um, and we end up winning this, that's even better. So, um, 
I'm not worried about scaring people off the pot. So that's why I was going for 60 or so. I, I'm, I'm more looking to get a weaker hand to raise me. Um, I'm thinking that um, I, I feel like I need to continue this betting when it's quite the opposite. We actually improved, right? So Yeah, I'm going to go on a limb and say if anyone calls, just calls, they're going to be flush, flushing because right, exactly. yep, I, yep. I think a straight draw is now saying, do I really want to draw to a straight here when it, you know, there's hearts that are out there? I, I feel like no one's drawing to a straight anymore if they call. Right, exactly. Um, all right, so we uh, so we did. You said the bet the forty five uh, cut off folds, but the button calls. So we're heads up now. Pot is one seventy five, and the river is the queen of hearts. Mm-hmm. So our final board is the eight of hearts, nine of hearts, ten of clubs, nine of diamonds, queen of hearts. Um, good for a lot of those draws. We're hoping we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. The only the only thing that worries me now is that he had queen queen. That's the only thing. But the button is the one that called, not the cutoff. So I'm going to rule that out because if he had queen queen, he probably would have raised again right. pre flop from ten to like thirty or something with queens to sort of make sure he's heads up with position against somebody who may have ace king or something. So I have a feeling that this person does not have a boat or bigger boat than us. Now he could have ten ten, and that would be brutal because you might not re raise with ten ten. You might just call and hope the flop is set, yeah. and then he didn't. But I also think ten ten might have bet more somewhere along the line in that flop betting because he would have wanted to protect that set of tens a little more than just what we decided to. And when he got a caller ahead of him, he might be like, all right, I can't let two guys draw to me, you know, for 20 bucks, let me bet more. And he didn't. So, I mean, if he did and he was cautious there and then filled up on the turn, then kudos to him. But I really feel like if he had a set of tens on that flop and got us to bet out and another got a call ahead of him, I think he bets again there. I don't think he just calls. So I feel like we're, we're really good here. I feel like no matter what I bet, I feel like this guy's got the nut flush draw and got there. Well, the nut flush draw, we don't oh, want to get that. No, 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 not Jack 10. But, I mean, I yeah. feel like he's got ace, ace, some suited baby ace or something because that, that's what it feels like, or even like an ace, ace 8. No, because ace 8 hearts is out. So maybe like an ace 7 or ace 5 or something. I don't know. It just feels like... He's like, I'm in position. I got a suited ace. I'm going to call this piddly raise with position and see if I flop something interesting. And then he did. And then he just called. And then he, he called one more time because he thought, if I get the nut flush, it'll beat this guy straight and I'll get some money out of him. And I feel like that's where he is. So I'm going to make I'm going to make a decent bet here. Um, probably like a hundred and maybe a hundred and ten, a hundred and hundred dollars, maybe something like that. Just something that. You know, a nice little stack of reds, just slide them out because that's generally what people will do on the end there. So for one seventy five, one seventy five, nice bet, yeah, absolutely. That's what yeah. I would do. Yeah, let's do a yeah. stack of hundreds. I will say, I'm trying to look at what he has here, and you're right. There's a raise in the cutoff, and then a call from him, right? So what kind of hands just call that? And you gave a couple good examples for me. Jack ten is a perfect hand for calling on the button. Yeah. The and of course, we have that beat unless, unless. The Jack Ten of Hearts, yeah, um, which would be really interesting here because uh, and again, that's one hand, so I'm not going to get fixated. I'm still betting my hundred, so don't think I'm getting soft here. But I'm not surprised if I see that, right? Because you can imagine that, um, you know, you flop top pair uh, with the straight draw, and then it, it's actually an open handed <laughs> straight plus as well. Not going for anything. Now, you would think that hand would probably would have raised us on the flop, though, so that's probably why it's less likely. Um, 
But um, but yeah, there's a couple hands out there that that I would be worried about. But for the most part, I I'm still feeling pretty good here, right? So yeah, um, when you have Jack ten of hearts and that flop comes, you're looking for more money in the pot. Even right. when the board pairs, you're still dealing with the blind. You know what I mean? And it, the odds that the blind has a boat right now in his mind are rare. He usually just rules that hand out, and so he may be thinking this guy might have a straight, but I literally have the world on the river to come after he board pairs. So uh, I, I still think that yeah, I, I don't I don't think this guy has that hand. I, I think he would have gone to get more wanted to get more money in the middle earlier than now on the river. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be confident in my hundred dollar bet. Uh, I am too, so we'll see what happens here. Um, our hero says, uh, this seems like a great card. The flush gets certain, the jack straight draw comes in. Based on the above, I think a large bet will get called. I bet 140. Okay, that's a pretty big bet. But, uh, man, why not? I mean, if you think you're going to get called, I'll bet the world. If if I right. if I don't, then I'm going to try to make sure it's a bet that he's like, oh, I got a jack, I got a call. So, um I thought maybe 100 is a little more closer to that. And if it's the heart flush, then maybe 140 would get there. Um, so, yeah, I don't mind that bet, I guess. That's not bad. Uh, the button quickly raises to 320. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not folding the full house. I'm sorry, but I'm not raising either. I, You know, it's possible he has 10-10. It's possible he has that jack-10 of hearts. I kind of ruled those out, and I ruled out queen-queen. But again, if I raise again, I don't know if he can call with just a heart flush. You know, I don't know, or just a straight. I don't know if he could, but he could do that very well with ten ten or queen queen yeah, if he somehow was really tricky. So yeah. I'm just gonna call. Yeah, let's call and uh, and take down this nice pot. I think so. Um, all right, here says I was quite confident, but now I'm concerned. I think for a bit uh, the button could have pocket queens for the bigger boat, but I think that would have been re uh, re raised pre flop. Mm-hmm. So I ruled out. Jack had a hearts for the straight flush looks quite likely, along with pocket tens, both of which I lose to. Both of these hands may have raised on the flop, but could be slow played. I doubt a straight only would have raised, but flushes make sense. Uh, I'm saying that I'm not sure what my opponent puts me on, perhaps trips or the straight. I decide my hand is too good to fold, and I'm likely good. I put him all in for around 200. In hindsight, maybe this wasn't the best play. Could have saved 200 if he had the nuts. He calls and shows the ace of hearts, six of hearts for the flush. Yeah. Uh, here's the deal. That's the one thing that we didn't consider was what that person was thinking we had, you know, level right, three or whatever right. it is. So yeah. if he yeah. was thinking that we were in there with a random, you know, seven, nine or something or whatever, um, he, he yeah, could say, oh, it's trip nine. That's the only thing he could think that we could probably have at that time, right. which would make sense because we right. bet out on that flop, right? Right. Middle pair, and then we improved the trips, and then he caught up to it. "Quote unquote caught up to us with hearts." So, right, yeah. he could have thought we had Jack nine, and then had three nines, and then made the straight on the end, and that's why we were so emboldened because we had trips and then yeah. improved. So that's what he's thinking. But yeah, we should have probably considered what he was thinking we had um, as to why that raise was. But I still was only calling. Man, I tell you, you got the max out of that, Mark. That's no doubt. Yeah. That's unbelievable. You got that much money out of that hand. Seven hundred dollar pot by far wow. the largest ever played. He said, "Wow, that's huge. Good job." Yeah. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise... 
send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.